Welcome to MHM Podcast Network on MovieHouseMemories.com. Podcast for pod people. Our feature presentation begins now. You're listening to Lunchtime Movie Review from LunchtimeMovieReview.com. And we are the children of the 80s. The children of the 80s are back with another classic from our childhood. I'm Chris. Hello, I'm Shane. And I'm Patrick. And for this episode, we are reviewing 1982's Muppet masterpiece, The Dark Crystal. (laughs) Directed by Yoda and Jim Henson and starring the voice work of Jim Henson, Catherine Mullen, Frank Oz, and a special appearance by Janice from Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem. I'm pretty sure she was in that. Uh, But before we begin, a word from our sponsor. Today's podcast is brought to you by Crystal Light. Friends, are you on a quest to free yourself from artificial sweeteners, flavors, and preservatives? Does it feel like three suns have to align before you can get your hands on a sweetly satisfying drink? Does all that soda make you feel like a hyperactive puppet with some random dude's hand up your ass? Well, does Crystal Light have some great news for you? Crystal Light is a, the 0% sugar, 0% shards, all-natural drink alternative that is 100% family fun. So before those bird brain creeps bring you down, pick yourself up with some kid-tested, mother-approved Crystal Light. And I have the summary unless anybody else wants to summarize. Nope. You don't want me to summarize. <laughs> all right. Dark Crystal. Billions maybe even trillions of years ago, there lived a planet known as Thra. Two new races are suddenly born from one when a shard is broken from the crystal of truth. One race is an evil one called Skeksis. The other is its polar opposite named the Uru. The Skeksis live in a burnt castle of the crystal and they extend their lives through the corruption of the dark crystal. The mystics, live in the Valley of the Stones and await the great conjunction of Thra's three sons. Patrick is already on the edge of his seat. (laughs) Our film begins with the leaders of both races near death, as the great conjunction is about to begin. When the mystic's leader passes away, so does the Skeksis emperor, Skekso. These these names were worse than uh, me trying to pronounce Japanese names. <laughs> uh, and the reason he dies is because these two races are equally, are really just one. Because the, the Dark Crystal, it was broke. They broke it. Immediately, the Skeksis begin to uh, fight to be the new emperor. And it's a trial by stone. Where Skeksun, the son of King Jong-un, easily defeats the passive-aggressive Skeksil, when he cuts the stone in half, thus becoming the new leader. The other Skeksis banish Skeksil forever. Back in the Valley of Stones, a Gelfling named Jen sets out to fulfill a prophecy to bring balance to the force. The new Skeksis emperor sends an army of giant crab things to capture him. Skeksil 
decides he will nab the gelfling, gelfling first to get back into the bird's good graces. After a day's journey, Jen finds Agura. What the hell? It's Did they just throw a bunch of letters from the Scrabble and just whatever came out? That's the name. Uh, apparently, <laughs> but that would go to explain a great many things that they just chose, like the random. Here, you write the next sentence of this paragraph, and that would explain the story as well. After a day's journey, Jen finds Agura, where she tells Jen of the great conjunction and his need to restore the dark crystal to its old glory with its missing shard. She then tosses a bunch of shards on the ground, says, pick one. Yeah, nothing important about that. Just pick one. I don't care. YOLO. Uh, Jen uses his magical flute to pick one. So what the fuck is Jen supposed to do now? Nobody has a clue. That's, that's just the story we got going. But these bad crabs show up and they destroy everything in sight. Jen flees and he finds himself alone in this swampy forest-like place. It's here that he meets another surviving gelfling named Kira. Luckily, it's a girl, so the uh, breed can continue on. She takes Jen to the clan of podlings who raised her, and I think that was in Fraggle Rock. I'm pretty sure that's where she took them to. Uh, <laughs> but during the night's party, the crabs raid the village. Jen, Kira, and her pet dog, Thing. I don't know what the fuck it was supposed to be. Fizzgig, is that the name? Sure. Fizzgig. Okay. So the three of them head out and the crabs nearly capture him, but the, but little old Skexil shows up and stops them with his little passive aggressive, whatever that voice is that he makes. <laughs> Soon Jen and Kira stumble across the ruins of the Gelfling civilization. Jen can read the ancient writing, which spells out the prophecy to him. He now knows what he needs to do, but before the three can leave, Skexil shows up again and says the prophecy is the reason all the Gelfling were killed. He then tries to trick them into returning with him to the castle so that he can get all the glory for capturing the two remaining Gelflings. Jen balks, and the three head to the castle without that a-hole. Once at the castle, they enter it through some catacombs, and they head in, but Skeksil, Skeksil is shows up again, and he tries to get them to come with him. No go. Jen stabs him in his little bird hand for for good measure, and that makes Gexil angry, and he knocks down a support beam, which causes a cave-in and buries Jen. Patrick, you still with us there? Yeah, I'm still here. Okay. I didn't know if we lost at the beginning, middle, or at the end, but we'll find out. <laughs> I'm still here. Pleased with his actions, the Skeksis reinstates Skeksil as Chamberlain. I guess that's what he was. That's what the IMDB told me he was. I wouldn't have fucking known from the film. Our film climaxes with the alignment of the three sons with Jen and Kira above the crystal chamber on opposite sides of the room. The Skeksis gather for their ritual that will grant them immortality. However, they spot Kira and Jen too. As the crabs attack them, Jen leaps onto the crystal, but oops, he drops the shard. Kira flies down because, as everybody knows, girls have wings. She grabs the shard and throws it to Jen, and the Skeksis kill her for her efforts. Uh-oh. There goes their future generations. Yeah. <laughs> Heartbroken and pissed off, Jen plunges the shard into the dark crystal's hole, which sets off a chain of solar events that fulfills the prophecy. Mystics arrive in the nick of time. Uh, they had started out like uh, 17 years prior because they move like sloths. 
and they merged themselves with the Skeksis to become the singular beings they once were. Back as one race, the new leader tells Jen that they mistakenly shattered the crystal 1,000 years ago, which split them into two races and decimated Thra. Before the new beings ascend to this higher level of existence, a very uh, kingdom of the crystal skull-like, uh, they bring Kira back to life and leave the crystal of truth to the two. The world of Thra is now rejuvenated for a happy ending. The end. Spoiled it so you don't have to watch it. Right, Patrick? Right. Yes. Well, I'm glad that you could summarize it because I would have had a hard time. Uh, so, Patrick, how did this gem of a film do? Uh, the Dark Crystal was released on December 17th of 1982, a Christmas present for the world. Uh, it was the same day <laughs> as, and there was a lot of films that came out on this date, the same day as Best Friends, Tootsie, The Verdict, Six Weeks, and Honky Tonk Man. The same month as 48 Hours, Sophie's Choice, Gandhi, Airplane 2, the sequel, Kiss Me Goodbye, and Chris's all-time favorite film, The Toy. You know, Patrick, we've talked about this many, many times, but December 1982 might have been the greatest December in the history. Oh, wait, never mind. Go ahead. <laughs> right. Made on a budget of $15 million. It ultimately grossed uh, just about $40.5 million making the, in the United States, making it the 16th highest gr grossing film of 1982, right behind First Blood, uh, Chris's favorite, The Toy, and Firefox, and right in front of such films as Conan the Barbarian, The Sword and the Sorcerer, and Best Friends. Uh, the series uh, was the, and this was an interesting side fact, was the highest grossing film in France and Japan in 1983. That's all the year that Return of the Jedi came out. <laughs> this was so apparently the French and the Japanese don't like Star Wars for whatever reason. All I know is Frank Oz made a killing that year. No kidding. Uh, the series <laughs> was made into a series of prequel books that, uh, that uh, were published between 2016 and 2019. And in 2019, a prequel series called The Dark Crystal Age of Resistance uh, was released on Netflix. And Rotten Tomatoes has it at 79% critics and 81% audience. And that is the numbers on The Dark Crystal. This is one I had wanted to review for a while, not because I had necessarily fond memories of it, but I was just curious to see how it would stand up over the years because I have not seen this one since it was on the, the HBO loop. But Shane, did you have fond memories of this back in the day? Yeah, I saw it at the cinema. I was very young. It got released in Australia uh, the 22nd of April, uh, 1983. So as usual, and in during that time in the 80s, uh, we got movies, you know, months after they were released in the US. And I think it freaked me out a little bit at the time because I was young. But over time, watching it a lot on VHS uh, and now owning, you know, a, a DVD special edition copy and, and a 4K, which I purchased recently to watch watch it again for this. I really like it. And I just think it's so, what captured my attention, even as a kid, was the sets, the detail, the absolute detail of the worlds. I mean, I didn't relate to Jen and Kira or the way they spoke and things like that, but it was just the fantasy element because I loved all that sort of stuff and still do. Um, watching it again, though, because it's been a few years. Um, I did see it at a, a retro cinema screening about five years ago, but I don't remember certain things about it until 
watching it again a couple of days ago. So no, I have fond memories, Chris, and still, still really enjoy it. I know I saw it when I was a kid. Uh, I saw it one time and I think we rented it on VHS and I, uh, I could, if you would ask me before I watched this to say, what is this film about? I would say uh, puppets. And that would be about <laughs> all I could say. I, I had absolutely no memory of it I, other than I don't re- remember liking it because if I liked something, I know I would go back and revisit it frequently, even as a kid. And I, so I, I did not remember liking it. Uh, now after kind of watching it, I understand why I did not remember liking it very, it's very, just, it came back to me of like, Oh yeah, I understand why. <laughs> now this is a Jim Henson film. And I think that's why I saw it. And maybe because I was thinking of, uh, of like the great Muppet caper and all those, the, the films that I enjoyed, maybe I think that's kind of what threw me for a loop. But um, I, I think it was great that Jim stepped out of his comfort zone and, and tackled a different style movie from these happy films that he had been giving us at that point. I appreciate the effort. And I agree with you that, hey, let's not take the characters that everyone knows, such as the Muppets, and make yet another Muppet movie. Uh, let's do something let's take our skills and make something a little bit more advanced, a little bit more challenging, but I don't think advanced or challenging necessarily translates to dull. And that's my biggest gripe over this. It's boring. It just, it's, it moves the, the plot moves about as slow as those characters do walking back to the crystal or the, the place of the crystal throughout the entirety of the film, like glacially slow. And it, It's just, I did not find it captivating or dynamic in any way, shape or form. And I can't see where this would appeal to a lot of kids back then. And, and I don't remember, you know, I worked in a video store. I, you know, in in the, you know, late eighties, early nineties, going to 2000. And this was never a big renter. I mean, it was not someone came a film that a lot of people came in and revisited. So when there was talks of a sequel or a prequel series, in the 2000s, I was kind of like, why? You know, I, I, I just didn't see why someone would want to go back to it. Well, I thought it was a pretty popular hit. I mean, those numbers that you were saying oh. weren't and, remarkable, but it's yeah, all right. Right. You're absolutely right. The box office is there. It, it was a hit, but I, I just don't remember it as a hit. <laughs> I, I know Labyrinth was often associated as this, and maybe they did that instead of a sequel. I'm not sure of the details, but um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. And I've seen that Dark Crystal Age of Resistance series like a couple of years ago now. I think that came out. And although it's different and it's a continuation because there's, there's been so many books and fiction novels and stories linked to this original movie that, you know, they could if they wanted to. And there were there's prequels as well. So it's interesting. Um, I, I find it really captivating. And yes, it is slow, Patrick, but never boring. Not not what I think, anyway. You know, during this time, there was a lot of films similar to this. Never Ending Story, Labyrinth. Mm. Uh, you know, and I think that, I don't know which was first at this point. I feel like this was one of the first of these. But it's like they were trying to do these darker Brothers Grimm style films. And some hold up better than others. But this one seems to have a very good cult following these days. No, I agree. Um, like I said, books and this new series, yeah, big cult following. I mean, there, there's this whole era of fantasy in the 80s 
some good, some not so good, but they're technically on a whole, they're practical before CGI. And if they were going to do anything with this now, it'd be almost fully animated. I don't know why there's such a rich history behind this, you know, that for, for kind of the revisionist and, and, and the, the prequel series ended up failing. I mean, it was one it season did. and yeah, it did. It, it did not do well, uh, but uh, not as well as this film did in 1982. Uh, but, you know, you talk about Labyrinth, which I thought was a better film. You talk about Never Ending Story, which I thought was a better film. Even Time Bandits, uh, you know, has kind of got, uh, there's a little bit of, uh, you know, uh, mystery, not really puppets and stuff, but it's same sort I, of, yeah. Yeah. It's got uh, some fantasy element to it. And I thought those were all superior and better films and much more entertaining ultimately this and more dynamic uh, as, as far as moving forward. It, it, what is your audience that you're trying to get? Are you trying to get kids? Cause I think it's a little dark and scary for kids and, but it's not quite challenging enough for adults. You know, it's just it's in this middle ground, and I and I just don't see where where what the audience was because I know why my mom rented it because it was made by Jim Henson, the guy who made the Muppets, and she rented it for her kids. And as I said, we re-rented movies all the time when we were that age. I mean, I I re-rented Smoking the Bandit three multiple times, and that's a piece of shit film. But we only watched Dark Crystal once. <laughs> and, and, and never came back to it. And so it did not appeal to either myself or my brother. My brother rented Megaforce multiple times, multiple times. Kroll, multiple times. These are Kroll shitty films. is good. That holds up. Oh, oh. my God. <laughs> okay. The Ice Pirates. The Ice Pirates. We rented Ice Pirates multiple times. Now, Ice Pirates is an unappreciated gem of a comedy. I, I think Ice Pirates is actually a good film. But. Anything with space herpes. Yeah, anything with space pieces. <laughs> Flight of the Navigator. There were so many legends with Tom Cruise. There were so many movies around this era. Right. And this is one that, like, in the guard house, household, never got revisited again. And, <laughs> and, and, and as I said, we, we were dumb. We would watch a lot of dumb crap and, <laughs> and, and over and over again. And we never came back to this one ever. I, I mean, it's literally, I've seen this film once prior to reviewing it for this podcast, couldn't really tell you what the story is. Even after watching the podcast, couldn't, or watching the movie, couldn't even really tell you what the story was. It was, it was just some vague, he's got to get a piece of the crystal back to the main crystal. And these two creatures, these two races are actually one race that join. I mean, it's just, yeah, whatever. It just was so overwhelmingly uninteresting to me. And I can't imagine, I, tr I tried to watch it with my kids and they were done in 10 minutes. That's just, they really no interest in it at all. Okay. Let's, let's go over. Did you guys in the household see the last uh, unicorn? I think it was 82. Yes. I saw the last unicorn multiple times. A, a show that we did watch multiple times, secret of them multiple times around the same time frame. Mm -hmm. You know, those, those, those are darker animated films, but I think they're still accessible for children. I didn't think, I didn't think this was very, uh, you know, obviously my kids had no interest in it, but they're kids of a different generation as well. I mean, yeah, no, I guess that's why the series flopped because yeah, it was meant to be for families, but it just didn't turn out that way. And there wasn't enough of a following of the dark crystal fans that were young They're They're all, you know, our age or around our era, at least because they remember it 
either fondly or not so fondly like you do, Patrick. You know, Muppets is a different story, even though it was made by Jim Henson. I mean, Fraggle Rock and his Muppet movies were totally different to this. That's another reason why I think people weren't, they've just got to adjust to this film. I mean, it captured my attention straight away, but it's not for everybody. I, I forgot there were slaves in it and there's torture. That's something I noticed on this time round watching it. I forgot about those slaves, those little bald-headed people and um, that sitting in the torture chairs to suck their essence out. You know, I do remember that, but not being so you know, scary, I guess, for, for kids. That's the 80s for you. They will, they will show yeah. that to the kids. Yeah, well, that's a fun fact, actually. It was rated G when yeah. it was first released. I mean, yeah. look, look and at then... Watership Down, all the blood and gore in that children's film. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, Dark Crystal, on my research, uh, I forgot, because my 4K, my unless it's to do with the bonus content, but the film uh, was a, a G rating when it was first released, and now it's been uprated to a PG, which is different to your PG in the US, but it's still a higher rating than G. What? Yeah, we're still G here. Yeah, okay. There you go. Might be to do with the, the bonus content. That that can sometimes make the rating of the actual disc higher, depending on what's in the extras. I mean, Team America was a a, a puppet movie, and look at that one. Like, there hasn't been a lot of big puppet movies in the last 20 years, really. Can you think of any more? Well, There's one yeah. with Melissa McCarthy. I've forgotten the name of it, which oh, was live action and puppets. Murders. Yeah, that's it. I didn't hear which, that uh, that was very good film. Yeah, it was an adult comedy. Well, yeah. I, I think, and I and I think puppets to a large extent are a a genre of film or even a genre of entertainment that is probably fading as we get more technical technologically advanced. I mean, for puppets appeal to kids, kids. You know, it, you can't even get just hand-drawn animation films a lot more because no. animation, you know, or computer-generated anima- animation is just so much more dynamic and much more, more interesting. Even my kids, like, watching something, you know, animated from the 80s, the, in, the moment it hits the screen, they go, oh, this is old. <laughs> <laughs> That's the first And they, they, I can see the, their interest in a film immediately, uh, you know, dropping because this is um this is looks old to them you know the hand drawn to them is the, the equivalent of black and white <laughs> yeah okay oh, they're missing out on some great films though yeah. there are exceptions you know little mermaid breaks through aladdin breaks through lion king uh beauty and the beast breakthrough uh, you know but th- those are i mean even those are much later but something like uh, the Aristocats or Lady and the Tramp. Yeah, they they less less interested. It's hard to keep up with modern day filmmaking, um, and even if nothing else, the energy that that most of them do. I mean, like Watership Down would be a hard film to get my kids to watch. Not even just because of the themes and the the violence in it. I mean, which bothered me when I was a kid, yeah. but I still saw it multiple times. Um, it was, <laughs> it's it's just it's not energetic. And, and that I think is, you know, there needs to be life. There needs to be motion. It's unfortunately, I think for to a large extent, a lot of animated films now have almost come, become the equivalent of a car race. There just has to be constant motion, constant go, 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 go to keep kids energized and engaged in watching it. Otherwise two characters talking is just not that interesting. 
Yeah, they're not all good either. The animated films that come out now because they pump out more. You get your Pixar's and your Disney's and your DreamWorks or Illumination, but they're not all good. You know, they just pump out too many. I think they've got to have at least one every you know holiday period, every school holiday break. Hotel Transylvania Four. We're talking about you. Yeah, exactly. You said you saw that, Chris, uh, and yeah, that that went straight to Amazon Prime here. I don't know where it went overseas, but yeah, it didn't even get a theatrical release. And those first three movies were actually kind of box office money makers. I want to mention, obviously, the score. Uh, Trevor Jones is the composer. Uh, he did Last of the Mohicans, I guess, was one of his massive highlights. And Angel Heart, both those scores are, are brilliant. Um, and I quite like the isolated score in this too. Um, most of it anyway. I didn't really like it when they went into their little cantina scene before the crabs busted in. That was just, to me, was just like a bit of a cantina again. Um, that was Fraggle straight Rock. up Fraggle Rock, yeah. Exactly. It was just Fraggle Rock again, playing their flute and everything else happening, the drums. But, um, yeah, Trevor Jones's score was, was pretty good, I thought. Um, he did Labyrinth as well. All right, let's go around the table here. I don't think we have very much more to say. Uh, when all is said and done, uh, does this film stand the test of time? Uh, Patrick? No. <laughs> I did not like it. Then. <laughs> I don't like it. I did not like it now. Uh, my kids showed no interest in watching it. And it's very rare that I can pick a film up that we're going to review for Lunchtime Movie Review or any of the other podcasts and have my kids sit down and potentially watch it with me. And I was like, hey, you could watch this. And nope. They were like, after 10 minutes, my son's, do, do I have to watch this? <laughs> no, you don't have to watch it. So you may know <laughs> if you'd like to go. And so he left. And my daughter, I think, went through the room a couple of times, but she was playing with toys. She was not even giving any interest in it. I just I just don't think it is. I, I think it's a film that uh, it lacks a, a, an, an idea of what it audience, its audience it wanted to be. It, it's not, as I said, it's not quite a kid's film. It's not quite a film for adults. Uh, so it basically had no audience, although I, I can't argue with the numbers it made at its time. But I think I think the strength of its numbers at the time was because it was a Jim Henson property and everyone knew he was responsible for the Muppets. And that's why people went to go see it. That's why my mom picked it up for us at that time. Uh, now, Shane, Shane likes it. And there obviously is still a cult following for it because there was a prequel series made. So there's a group of people out there that could possibly explain to me what I'm missing in this, but yeah, I did not enjoy it. I do not think it stands the test of time. I, I think that a lot of people saw this because the, the great Muppet caper was the previous year, you know, and Jim Henson, you really couldn't go wrong with at this time. So he had a couple good films under his belt. And for me, I hadn't seen this since the eighties myself, since it was off the HBO loop. And, uh, I, this film is just not for me. There's plenty of films similar from this era that I would much rather watch again. Uh, Labyrinth, Never Ending Story, even Willow. That they, they just capture my attention more. So this one was definitely a miss and does not stand the test of time. But we'll, we'll end this on a happy note since Shane has the best to say about this film. Yeah, definitely it stands the test of time. If for nothing else... Watching it on beautiful 4K, you know, like it does with most movies, this format really 
details everything. And there are so much details in the background and the time and care taken on these puppets is just amazing. Like, it really is. The story, yeah, I'm, I'm really agree with you guys, especially watching it again. And the story's flat and difficult to follow. And then you've got these real confusing names and different worlds and creatures and who's who. But uh, overall, I, I still think it holds up. I really enjoyed it. And I'm surprised that your kids were not fussed, Patrick, because I, before talking to you today, I wrote in my notes that I, I would think that a lot of parents would like to show their kids, older kids anyway, to and they'd be keen to watch it in something different, not just animated. But obviously not. Maybe I'm wrong. I have the art of the Dark Crystal book, which is a nice big hardcover book. And I've different, you know, I've got this on VHS DVD and now 4K. So I really do like the movie. And it's uh, next one followed it, Labyrinth. Jim Henson and Frank Oz were on a roll. They were on fire during this period. But you're right. A lot of parents would have picked it up at the video shop thinking, oh, great. Guy who did the Muppets and then put it on, and there's all these like slaves and dark things happening. Anyway, I really liked it, and it stands the test of time, definitely, in my eyes. All right, well, that's it for our review of The Dark Crystal. Please let us know what you think of the film in the comments section. And for our listeners over on moviehousememories.com, please rate it from one to five stars on that page as well. If you enjoyed today's review, please don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, the MHM Podcast Network where we have many, many more film reviews from yesterday, today, and beyond. Until the next time, I'm Chris. And I'm Shane. And I'm Patrick. We have to get out of here, and you guys are invited. This podcast is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The theme song for Lunchtime Movie Review, Fireworks, is brought to you by Alexander Nakarada at SerpentSoundStudios.com under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 license. All original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of Lunchtime Movie Review, the MHM Podcast Network, and Fuzzy Bunny Slippers Entertainment, LLC, unless otherwise noted.